She-Hulk is smashing onto Disney Plus this week, and I've got my review of the first several episodes right now. This review is brought to you by Upside. Download the free app right now to get cash back on your first purchase and stay tuned till the end of this episode for more info. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my review of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, the first four episodes, which were provided for critics to look at ahead of the show's premiere this week. This is not going to be a full spoiler review. I'm not going to give away everything that happens in these first four episodes, but if you want to go in completely cold, then you may want to come back, I guess, in a month or so after those first four episodes have run. But this is not going to be a full deep dive into every single thing that happens in the first four episodes of this show. She-Hulk Attorney at Law comes from creator and head writer, Jessica Gao, who is an Emmy-winning writer on Rick and Morty, among other shows. And the show stars Tatiana Maslany, which I think is the best thing that She-Hulk has going for it. She keeps up Marvel's streak of great casting, especially in the lead roles and key supporting roles in the MCU. And I really think that Marvel has the casting department, led by Sarah Halle Fenn, to thank as much as it does Kevin Feige and a lot of the other directors, because they have found such great people to fill all of these roles. Tatiana Maslany essentially plays a double role in this show, Jennifer Walters and her alter ego, the She. Hulk, and the first episode is largely devoted to an origin story for the She-Hulk after Jennifer is exposed to the blood of her cousin, Bruce Banner, and gains the ability to transform into a Hulk, which is then dubbed She-Hulk by the media. She-Hulk has a little bit more control over her Hulk form, explained by vague genetic factors, which allows her to transform at will and maintain her personality from the start. She's basically still Jennifer Walters, she just gets a lot taller, a lot greener, and a lot stronger. She-Hulk also beats Deadpool to the punch in the MCU by breaking the fourth wall, which is a bold storytelling choice that's jarring only because it's used so infrequently. Sometimes it's barely used in an episode, sometimes they lean very heavily on it in an episode. It just doesn't seem cohesive. As I mentioned, the pilot is largely devoted to Jennifer's transformation and her training with her cousin, Bruce Banner. Bruce is dismayed at his cousin's ability to master her Hulk form more quickly than he could due to the aforementioned vague genetic markers. The dynamic between Mark Ruffalo and Tatiana Maslany, even through their green avatars, is strong, despite the required fight between our two heroes that every MCU project has to have. Sadly, I'm not really sure exactly how much the door is left open for the future interaction, at least in the short term, between these two characters after the first couple episodes. Maybe they'll figure out a way to bring Hulk back in toward the end of the show. Jennifer is dismayed to find out that her alter ego is more popular than she is, and soon She-Hulk is hired to run a new superhuman law division at a high-powered law firm. And it really does seem like the show would have had more She-Hulk scenes if the budget allowed, and I think that Jessica Gao gave an interview uh, to this point this week where originally She-Hulk was written into the script much more than she appears, but because of budgetary limitations, a lot of those scenes had to be pared down so that it's Jennifer Walters. So it is actually a little more Jennifer Walters heavy than I expected, at least through four episodes. I do have to say that while the CGI is an improvement over the first trailer, I don't really think it's quite there. But then again, this was never really going to look completely photoreal. I mean, She-Hulk is an inherently unreal character. So I guess the question is, how integrated could even the best special effects have made She-Hulk in any given scene? Having said that, it is still often a distraction, and I often did not buy that the character was actually interacting with people in these scenes. 
If you're looking for tie-ins and cameos to other Marvel movies, then She-Hulk probably has more of them, certainly than almost any other project on Disney+. Tim Ross, Abomination, and Benedict Wong's Wong played big parts in the first few episodes, and the show will reportedly introduce Daredevil in future episodes. These characters appear, but perhaps not as you remember them, because She-Hulk is more comedy-driven than I think just about any Marvel project so far. Now, comedy has always been a key element of every Marvel movie, even the most serious one, but She-Hulk Attorney at Law is basically the first MCU sitcom, and at some places, I don't even think that a laugh track would be out of place. If you don't mind everything and everyone in the MCU becoming a joke, then you'll probably enjoy the show a little bit more than I did, but I did find it a little jarring that Abomination is now a comedic character, and there is an episode one revelation about Captain America that I think some people are going to find borderline sacrilegious. Humor, as I said, has always been a big part of the MCU, but it is in the spotlight here more than ever, and nothing is sacred when it comes to the jokes that are made on this show. A lot of people are going to find this refreshing, and for me, again, it's not just the presence of the humor that I didn't enjoy, I just didn't find a lot of the jokes that funny. She-Hulk was very hit or miss for me, and it often missed more than it hit. A lot of the overall comedic premises just didn't work for me. One episode is devoted to a shape-shifting elf on trial for defrauding a man by posing as Megan the Stallion, who appears as herself. Another episode is about a former student at Comertage who now works as a second-rate LA magician in this show's equivalent of the Magic Castle. The magician transports an annoying crowd member to Wong's apartment, where she spoils episodes of The Sopranos for him. Again, if you find these premises interesting or funny, then you'll probably enjoy the show more than I did. It's just that these weren't really my bag. I also felt like the third and fourth episode, which were the final two that were sent for review, felt very disconnected. It felt like the episodes had vignettes rather than scenes, and the third episode actually ended so abruptly, I had to check and make sure that I hadn't accidentally hit the skip forward button. So in addition to the tone, I also felt that the pacing was off on those episodes. It's kind of an awkward combination of a serialized superhero story and an episodic lawyer show. Perhaps that balance will improve over time as it gets to what I assume is going to be its main storyline. The show's reported main villain, Titania, who's played by Jamila Jamil, is almost entirely absent from the first four episodes. Her involvement is teased going into episode five, so I can't really say what the overarching story of the season is going to be or report back on what I thought of it because it doesn't really play into the first few episodes. But overall, again, it's not so much that the episodes are comedic. I'm fine with this being a comedy show it's just that I didn't think the comedy that's there was very funny. The show also feels a little cheap, which is weird because it has an alleged budget of $25 million per episode. The music in particular felt a little TV to me. And after Darcy's love affair with Baked Lays in both WandaVision and Thor Love and Thunder, we have two Hulks and their love affair with Cheetos. So the Frito-Lay company is really subsidizing a lot of what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. But I guess if you're spending $25 million an episode, sometimes real world intrusions have to take hold. Speaking of the real world, She-Hulk does break the fourth wall, and this show is very aware of its place in the real world. There were some clever references to Hulk's recasting and some other stuff in the MCU that I thought were pretty well executed, but She-Hulk is also very aware of its position in the internet culture right now, and there are points in some episodes where it specifically references the things that have been said about it online. A lot of the detractors of She-Hulk have focused on the fact that it is about a female superhero, and the show doesn't shy 
shy away from that either. There are two separate skeezy guy in a bar scenes in the first four episodes. And Jennifer shares with her cousin Bruce that she's able to control her anger so well because, well, that's how she has to live every day as a woman. Your transformations are triggered by anger and fear. Those are like the baseline of any woman just existing. I didn't find these scenes and references to be particularly insightful. I thought it was a variation on things that we've seen in a number of other films inside and outside the MCU. But I'm also, in case you haven't noticed, not a woman. So it's very possible that the female audience is going to take different things away from the show than I do or that things will resonate with the female audience more. That's one of the great things about shows. They resonate with different audiences differently. The social media embargo dropped about a day ago and I was one of, I would say, the minority of people on Twitter especially that did not have a positive reaction to the show. And I've got to be honest, I was met with some intimations and some accusations that I was a sexist or a misogynist for not liking She-Hulk, which any review of my record as a critic would easily disprove most recently my thoughts on Miss Marvel, another MCU show on Disney Plus that I actually really enjoyed. But that's just the world that we live in. Everything is polarized, and a lot of people are absolutists when it comes to these big MCU Star Wars type shows because it generates a lot of interest and a lot of buzz. In reality, the reason I didn't love these four episodes is because I found them to be really choppy, awkwardly paced, filled with comedy that largely didn't land for me while transforming every MCU character into comic relief, whether it makes sense or not. I wasn't really too concerned about the gender of the lead. I was more concerned about whether this comedy was making me laugh, which in many places, it just didn't. I really do hope that the show finds its footing over these final five episodes, which I will be watching as they start rolling out on Disney+. Tatiana Maslany is a compelling lead, and I really hope that future comedic premises work for her better on a character level. I don't bear this show any kind of ill will, more of a general sadness that I just didn't enjoy it more, and if the reaction of the public is anything like the reaction of those that have seen it so far, then it seems like many, if not most, MCU fans are going to enjoy She-Hulk, I'm just not one of them. So those are my thoughts on She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Perhaps these final five episodes, if they're bringing in Daredevil, as we get to the main villain, we'll be able to kind of get things back on track. Are you looking forward to this show? Do you think that I'm just crazy? Do you think I'm being too hard on the MCU? Because it's been running about 50-50 for me after a pretty impressive record leading into Avengers Endgame. Thank you so much for watching. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor for today's show, Upside. From the gas pump to the grocery store to your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting everybody where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for people that buy groceries, eat at restaurants, fill their cars with gas, which is, you know, pretty much everybody. With every purchase I make using Upside, I'm getting cash back, and this is not one of those too-good-to-be-true things. I was a little worried about that at first, too. All you have to do is find a business near you that has an Upside offer, go there, check in, get your cash back, and you can withdraw that money from your Upside account anytime you want. And over time, that adds up, so I don't feel too bad about getting popcorn and a soda at the movies. To get started, download the free Upside app, claim an offer for whatever you're getting with Upside, check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and then get paid. Download the free Upside app now and use promo code DANMERL, all one word, to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code 
code DANMERLE. Thanks so much to Upside for sponsoring the show, and thank you for watching. I'll be back later this week with more news and movie reviews. I'll be back next week with Box Office, and there's so many other streaming shows coming up. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, big, big properties that have streaming stuff on the way. I'll be talking about all of it right here. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.